The most valuable resource that all teachers have is each other. Without collaboration, our growth is limited to our own perspectives. That was Robert John Meehan. I'm Raleigh. She's Danielle. And this is Unstuck, the special ed podcast. How was that today? That was good. Was that better? That's great. <laughs> you know what? Don't quit your day job to try to be a DJ anytime soon. Look, I appreciate you giving me another opportunity <laughs> I did, to, yeah. to try that out. You know what? That, hey, as a special educator in this world, I give lots of chances. Multiple, multiple. We, we can always make progress, right? What's going on, Raleigh? Well, you know, just uh, thinking about how it's OT month, month of April. Oh, happy OT month. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I'm you assuming my this. gift is in the mail. It is. My... Uh, personalized OT sweatshirt that yes. you've ordered for me off of aota.com.org.com. Oh, thank you for my, for my desk chair. Or cushion, yeah. Or a seat. Yeah. Yeah. Some alternative seating. A move and sit cushion. Oh, yeah. Move and sit. Yeah. Yeah. A move and I'm sure that that maybe that's just a brand name, but you know, the, the wedge seat with the bumps on it. Yeah. I mean, it's or the, or the circular seat. Move and sit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want to, I'm not trying to promote any particular product. I'm going to say, unless you want to sponsor us, please. <laughs> <laughs> Unstuck brought to you by Moving Sit Cushion. <laughs> Unstuck brought to you by Theraband. <laughs> yes, Theraband is the name, so I don't know. Thera- therapy band. Therapy band. Uh, putty? Yep, putty's fine. We can just say putty. Yeah, so wow, well, let's just take it back to all the old-fashioned modalities that we have, right? How about, how about the um, uh, body sock? Oh, oh, you know how I feel about a body sock. <laughs> I'm going to say these last few weeks have been uh, very, very long. Mm. Why do you think that is? I don't know. Oh. It's just been stressful. We've had like a really high number of initial evaluations, mm. um, mm-hmm. concerns from parents. And what and, we keep trying to reframe it as is that this is moments in time. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, something that I speak to a lot when I train people about um, sensory processing is I always say sensory processing issues don't come and go. It's not like, oh, I had them in April and then they were gone for three months and they came back. And I think, you know, it's it definitely brings us into our discussion about sort of that collaborative process and related services. Um, Want to definitely include speech, OT, um, adaptive phys ed, PT, clinicians, social workers, who am I missing? Adjustment counselors. Nurses. I mean, they're called adjustment counselors. Yep. Um, and that looking at that sort of collaboration and I think what's challenging and it doesn't necessarily apply to me personally, but I know many, many OTs and speech pathologists out there in the world of special ed with massive caseloads, um, 60 plus kids. They're a district wide provider. So they're seeing kids in multiple schools, multiple ages. And, you know, despite the the fact that that's not how I operate personally, I can't imagine having that many cases and having that many students, that many families having to try and adapt to um, just popping in and seeing a kid quickly and then leaving and moving on to the next one. It's almost like an assembly line. And I I really can't fathom how that's helping. I'm sure, you know, I'm not trying to disparage that process. I just don't, it seems like it would be really hard to devote any, too much energy to any given student. And And you're trusting the educators to give you the right information Mm -hmm. and they're not experts in what you're an expert in. So Mm -hmm. you're, you're valuing their input so much and, uh, you know, it's not always accurate. Wow. I mean, it's not, I mean, you're not an expert, right? Mm -hmm. I, I went to school to be an educator I don't, I don't think I took any classes on 
ancillary services, right. OT, speech. I had a speech pathologist professor, but she spoke to us about reading. Right. It had nothing to do with the services that are provided by a service provider. Mm-hmm. That, that's what they go to school well, for. Well, something else that I think we've talked about in prior episodes is the idea that a special educator can provide more of the... Um, accommodations, more of the modified instruction that we are seeking outside professionals to help with. So we're seeking, I I mean, this is, I can bring up an example of, um, you know, young students, you know, first grade, say, kindergarten, first grade that have handwriting objectives that are only to be um, monitored and addressed by the occupational therapist. And I just, to all my OTs out there, I, I try to tell everyone whenever I can, we are not handwriting teachers. I, I didn't go to school to learn how to teach handwriting. It is just like so many uh, skills that we teach. It is a task analysis. It is breaking it down. It is thinking about the individual components of handwriting that are so high level, tricky, so many things going on there that make it complicated and different aspects of what makes someone be able to put a pencil to paper and write something. Um, but it's not, you know, in lieu of teaching them handwriting, because we've got to move on to something else, you can pull them from class and teach them how to write. So something that I talk to teachers that I currently work with is how do we incorporate that a little bit more? Because we're missing that, um, especially if a kid in the pandemic era started school and missed a couple of years. You know, they they were, say, kindergarten age when this hit. They're out of school for a couple of years and they weren't working on this. So does that mean an OT should come in and pull this kid out of class to teach them handwriting? How can we make that school environment more integrated with all the different aspects? We have all the different areas addressed more holistically, embedded within an IEP. I've said for a long time, the best IEPs are the ones that have a through line of all this stuff mixing in. It's not this domain, this domain, this domain, and they don't really overlap each other. I still see so many of those types of IEPs, and it feels very siloed and piecemeal, and it's not embedded and ingrained as like a whole process and a whole child. Well, it's like, it's people saying, well, that's not my job, that's your job, it's Mm -hmm. your job to do it. And really, you're right. And all the all of the evidence, all of the research that is that we have at our fingertips now that we didn't have 15 years ago talks about how important it is for students to feel included like they belong. And mm-hmm. so if you're pulling them, uh, I, I was talking to a special ed teacher the other day about how often, or a, a team of people, how often the student was pulled for, for services throughout the day. She was spending 15 minutes, I'll repeat, 15 minutes out of a six-hour wow. day. Wow. With, with her peers. Right. She was getting pulled for reading. Well, then what's now, the generalization happening there? Right. And so, and all the research backing inclusion and pushing kids in as much as possible, is there a way that you can, and I'm sure there are other kids that aren't doing well in specific mm-hmm. areas where you could create groups, um, you could have the, the stations, mm-hmm. um, have the OT or speech and language pathologist come in and run a station. It's going to be beneficial for all the kids. Right. Have a handwriting station where you're grabbing Well, four or five we talk kids, about kinesthetic right? learning for handwriting. So, you know, again, in trainings that I've given, I talk about how like people, you know, people will see my job as, wow, what does she do all day long? She's playing. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because kids' jobs are to be a student and to play. And we can merge those two together. They are getting hands-on experience. They're getting kinesthetic learning through these various activities. Everything is something we can use in therapy. Therapy and it can be fun and it's engaging and that's why kids like it and that's why I love my job. Um, but I think, you know, there's a there's a time and place for that, but I think there's a way to also respond to things 
less restrictively. And I think we talk about that most restrictive service delivery model is pulling a kid away from their natural you know, academic environment and working on something in isolation. Certainly there are students who meet that level of need and I have several of them, but there comes a point where, you know, I also talk about, this is just in a perfect world, modifying, at least here in Massachusetts, I don't know how it works everywhere else, but we're on a three-year re-eval cycle. So ostensibly, you're you're evaluating a child. Three years later, you get to reevaluate and say, well, now they don't need services anymore. And I say to people all the time, who prescribes something for three years and then, then you're going to get rechecked? And the problem is, if you're asking someone that has 65 kids on their caseload to say, well, in order for you to deem that this student doesn't need services anymore, you need to test them. And if in a year of service, you know, they've provided services for a year and they look and say, well, now I'd love to discharge this student because I've seen this growth. They've met their IEP goal and they're really functioning at, you know, where they should be within the curriculum. You have to test them out of that. And as much as I can appreciate that, the numbers and the data and that information, I think to ask someone with that massive caseload to then be testing kids all the time just to warrant the discharge of services. I just think we need to analyze and look at why we're providing the service, what's what's the efficacy of that long-term, how do you shift, how can OTs be supportive in other ways, and that's something that I'm trying to shift in my own um, career, in my own um, job, is how can I be uh, a tool and a resource and a service to children without having it have to be so separated from everything else they're doing? How do I integrate myself and work on executive functioning has been a huge piece, self-regulation, um, without it having to be like, yes, they're going to write their name. You know, th- there's a place for that and a time for that. But I think we need to we need to grow with the times and with the fact that, you know, we don't want to burn everybody out. And that's a huge thing that's been happening as well. Well, yeah. And it's funny. I uh, am doing a lot of I, I'm reading a ton of IEPs right now to help um, figure out actually what kids need. So uh, I was reading this IEP the other or actually the student was um going through their fourth initial evaluation they were not found eligible the three other times starting in kindergarten Mm. and the student's now in 10th grade and um i went back to see why she wasn't found eligible right and these other and i looked at this evaluation it was a speech and language evaluation and it was wonderfully written it was really really well done she's talking about this student being above average in all these areas I've seen it before. She's not generalizing the skills, right? right? So in isolation during testing, she's mm-hmm. able to absolutely get above average. There's the and rub. Literally yep. every single score was above average. She was found ineligible because of the test scores. And I'm like, it's so important to do those observations and mm-hmm. work together to figure out what this kid actually needs. Well, and again, looking at what can ancillary services be doing to do more training, do more um, coaching. And, you know, I... Th- it's one of these things where everybody's an expert, but nobody's an expert. Like everyone can tell you that kid needs this service. That kid needs OT, but then nobody knows how to provide anything that you're offering. I mean, I, I say these in grand sweeping, you know, it's, it's, I'm not saying everyone, but I think it becomes this, this weird uh, middle ground of, you know, that kid needs you to take care of this, this issue. They need you to work on their fine motor. And, and I don't really know that I have to do that as the teacher or the para or whomever. You just work on that and get those skills up to par. Well, that's never, for a lot of these kids, that's never going to work. It's way too separated. And so many times you're absolutely right. You say, 
in isolation, in a structured setting with one adult, they can do X, Y, Z. Then you put them in a classroom and you ask them to do that same thing. And it's like, it all goes out the window. How do we smooth that, that carryover and maybe make that transition happen faster or more fluidly? The more people saying the same thing, we've talked so much about consistency on this podcast. It goes to everything. It's not just about kids that are on the autism spectrum or kids with executive functioning challenges. It's all of this has to be something that is carried over, you know, between domains and between settings. Especially when you're talking about upper elementary, middle school, which is yes. such a prime learning time and also personal time. You have a lot of kids, you know, going through the P puberty. Mm, and mm-hmm. then you have, so you're coupling that though with the increase in rigor and academics. You're jumping from um, learning, teaching to learn or something like that. You know how you do like reading to learn and learning to read, right? Okay. So it's going from learning yeah. to read to reading to learn. So these kids are jumping into these like concrete skills. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as they hit upper elementary, you're inferencing. You're right. doing way more multi-step things. Well, things and- aren't so rote. It's you have to now have some critical thinking skills. You have to be able to adapt and, and use something you've learned and apply it in a different way and not just regurgitate information. Exactly. Yeah. And that's and I think that's when we get a lot of those initial evaluations. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. And it's like, well, if we're getting this many evaluations, we need to change our style of teaching. Right. We need to do it different. And all of the things that, you know, you and I are talking about with bringing in OT, speech, PT, whatever, into small groups can actually benefit more than just the kids who have their IEP. Oh, absolutely. It's super beneficial. Mm -hmm. Handwriting is a great example of like doing that in a multi-sensory way in third, fourth, fifth grade. Even if the kid, there aren't many kids who are perfect handwriters at Mm -hmm. that age. Well, and as we see, as the world has become all TikToks and YouTubes, I sound so old, but I am an old, um, what is the functionality of handwriting? So again, as I described, as my OT nerds out there will agree with me, probably, I hope, that that handwriting is a skill set that is emblematic of other deficits that if you don't have great uh, visual motor skills, if you don't have strong visual perceptual skills, if you have poor executive functioning, you are going to have some deficits in that area. I think we need to get to a place where we have functional skills and then we work on, I say this so many times in meetings and IEP meetings, student A has all this content that they cannot get out onto paper. What is more important, that they can write this legibly, neatly, and, and well-spaced, or that they get the content out? Because asking them to remember the content in sequence with the punctuation and the spelling and the letters on the line and the spaces nice and neat and all the uppercase letters where they should be and all the lowercase letters where they should be, let's just worry about what they learned from that, whatever. They're pulling information to make an essay. What is more important? And, and I think we still have this antiquated idea of what a student should look like, what should you know, each sort of milestone and checkbox should be clicked. And there are so many ways to learn something and to show you have that knowledge. We need to shift in that direction. And OTs are here for it. I am here for whatever I can be supportive in, but having this sort of predicate, you know, that we have to test them. Then we have to do it this way. Then we have to write these goals and they're very separate from everybody else's goals. And then, you know, we still keep seeing them year after year after year. And we have parents, God love you, um, whomever saying, please don't take my child off of service delivery. And we say, look, their scores are great here. They, they did great. Nope. I need them to, you know, they're still not writing neatly. So we have to find a way to work together to to explain to people all involved with a child's case that they're getting all the things they need. It just may start looking different and that's okay. 
Well, and I think the shift in some schools and in some instances is starting, at least, again, Massachusetts is a little different than other states. I actually talked to someone from Illinois the other day, and she was saying that when she came and moved to Massachusetts, she felt like because the tiered system of supports was Mm -hmm. so advanced Mm -hmm. in Illinois, when she came to Massachusetts, she was like, oh my gosh, you have none of this. Wow. And we think of ourselves as so uh, evolved here too, right? Um. I just lost my train of thought of the other thing, so I'll think of it. But um, one of the statistics I wanted to share is that kids ages 3 to 21, this is pre-pandemic, 2019-2020, of public school students, or 7.3 million students, are uh, currently on IEPs, not even 504 plans, mm-hmm. so not even um, their special ed services. And that comes from the National Center for Educational Statistics. 33% of those are... Uh, specific learning disabilities and those kids may not even need to be on IEPs just because a student has a disability in an area doesn't mean they need to get get these services a lot of times it's just adjusting your teaching right Mm -hmm. and and using the people around you and not feeling so silent so if you have a specific learning disability in reading that doesn't mean you need a reading goal it may mean that you need some tiered support or maybe an extra extra time or something like that. But I feel like a lot of people, as soon as they see an ADHD diagnosis mm-hmm. or an autism diagnosis or whatever, it's like, oh, we so need to put them on an IEP. Would you be say, would you be saying here that we're treating the diagnosis and not the child? I would. Be oh that. wow. You're saying it in a much more eloquent way. Wow. But I do think one of the ways, and I was going to say this earlier, and I that's when I lost my train of thought. Um, you're welcome, audience. I. Uh, a lot of schools are now looking at portraits of a graduate, mm-hmm. and a portrait of a graduate is what what you would like your students to know when they're leaving high school, when they're leaving the supports of the school. And I do think that's a step in the right direction mm-hmm. because you're changing your style of what you want kids to know at the end of their life in their public school. Or Whoa, that's not a dramatic. I know. <laughs> at the end of their life at in the, public school. Life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then. I also think uh, we, you and I were talking a little bit, this is a little bit of a shift, but about neuropsych. Yeah, you read my mind. That was going to be where I was going next. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so um, as a practicing occupational therapist in a school setting, I have lately, and I'd say in the past maybe year to two years, have been getting neuropsych reports that um, tend to be either... Well, sometimes they're district paid, but I think a lot of times they are paid for by the parent or by parents' insurance or whatever. And these while they are wonderful diagnostic tools and they're wonderful in sussing out different areas of of strength and weakness, um, I think what also has been happening is they, without any consultation, talking to any occupational therapist or speech pathologist, they are making specific recommendations for treatment services. For example, Johnny should get OT two times a week and they should be addressing these areas. And Uh, I take exception to that as someone who feels that I'm pretty skilled in my area of expertise, that I don't need someone else to dictate how much service delivery I should be providing. Um, It would be great to have it framed. Please talk to an occupational therapist. Here are some areas we've noticed through this evaluation. Um, Because you put something like that in writing and it becomes a point of contention because now if I'm saying... I don't see the need the way that this neuropsychologist did that tends to be, let's err on the side of the neuropsychologist. That person must be the one that knows what's happening. And I find that highly frustrating and 
um, makes my job harder. So if there's a neuropsychologist out there listening, just have a different wording of it. I appreciate, you know, you found something concerning or an area of, uh, that's not where everything else is. There's a way to phrase that that doesn't indicate you know how much service delivery should be provided. Well, not just that. You're talking about them taking a kid for a six-hour test. That's absolutely correct. With a bunch of, uh, they could tire. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a single It's incident. testing. There's no observation. <laughs> Anxiety. And you're right. A lot of those independent evaluations don't ever get input of anyone right. from the school setting. It's mm-hmm. usually just a parent... And, and I think you're right. I think there are neuropsychs that are very well done, but there are some that also recommend specific programs. So mm-hmm. it's like the student needs a therapeutic environment. Well, right. how? You've gotten zero input from his educational needs or, or their, his, hers or theirs, or they need a language-based program. Does mm-hmm. anyone know what a language-based program is? Oh, I don't know. Do you? I, like, no, seriously. It's, it's <laughs> everywhere I go, it's different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, they need a language-based program. Why? What's, right. what's the purpose for the language-based program? Because how I see it in some schools is a social-emotional sub-separate classroom. Mm-hmm. In, other cla- in other schools, it's specifically for kids with dyslexia mm-hmm. who have average scores. And right. Like, you have to know what you're recommending isn't a catch-all term, like that, that it means different things to different people. And I get it. Someone's paying you to do this and you want to represent the concerns that the person asking you to test is bringing up. But I just think there's a way to, again, not put people on blast, so to speak, and to let, you know, the sort of the experts do their their part. It, it just makes things a lot more challenging to then have the person like me say, I actually disagree with that. And you know, that's not something people like to hear because they want to say, well, this person recommended it. We're going to go ahead and, and you're going to test this child, whether or not I think that that's appropriate. So again, I come back to that three-year prescription, this way that we do things, these evaluations, you know, not all of these kids are great at testing. I just think it'd be really cool to come up with another way to look at, at how we determine progress, how we determine uh, goal acquisition. Um, what are we looking at? What are we asking for? You know, things have changed so, so much. And how do we shift and make things a little bit more efficient? People are working way too hard and maybe not as efficiently as they could be. And I just don't know how somebody has a, I go back to that caseload size. It, 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 it I'm flabbergasted when I hear how many students, I mean, I've heard as high as 84. I mean, that is just that's to me unfathomable and unreasonable to ask one single human being to provide very specialized services to 84 children. Well, and do those 84 students all actually need that? Right. Well, and that, right. Or is there a way to streamline that in a different way? Or tier it. Students first, right? Mm -hmm. Our special education students are general education students first. Right. So all of our service providers, that includes a special education teacher. Correct. What we're trying to do is include the student as much as they can Mm -hmm. be included and there's a very small percentage of kids that actually do need a sub-separate sep- classroom because they need that cl- smaller size, mm-hmm. they need additional services or ABA, um, or, you know, they're so far behind academically, they're, you know, they're learning functional life skills. Or their social-emotional level right. is, Those aren't the kids yeah. we're talking about in this. The kids we're talking about are those kids who just need some additional support in their general education setting, their accommodations, and having... An OT maybe come in and, and run a group on, you know, something specific that might be age appropriate and trying to build them up. But our, our kids don't need to be stigmatized more than they already are. Is this a dramatic, I'm going to make a dramatic analogy, but I don't, I've been creating it in my head while you're talking and I don't know if it's too much. So you weren't active listening? I was active listening. <laughs> see, I can multitask. That's See, I'm an OT. I can do that. Um, 
if you cut yourself, do you immediately say, I need to go and have my arm amputated because I cut myself? You wouldn't want that to be someone's diagnosis of you, would you? I cut my finger. Great. You're going to have it cut off. I'd like to hear other ways I can work on mending my cut finger than for you to tell me I've got to cut it off. It's dramatic. I understand that. But there should not be an A to B direct line for everything. It's actually something similar to what I use. And it's more, I use um, more of a, uh, I rolled my ankle. Mm. Right now, All right, sorry. Cast for a year. Yeah. So it's less like bloody. Okay, I see. But well, similar. It's, I mean, it's, it's all the same message, right? It's, potato, potato. It's a prescription. We have to remember an IEP stays with a kid for a diagnosis. An IEP stays mm-hmm. with a student forever. And we have to keep that in mind that we have to make sure we're giving the right prescription if they even need one. Mm-hmm. If someone has a cold, you generally just need to sleep it off, right? Or yeah. Like, yeah. Suffer through it for a little bit. You don't need to go to the ICU. Right. Hopefully. Well, and, and I always say this, I always put this caveat out there. I'm not trying to run myself out of a job or any specialized services or educators. No, I'm not trying to do that. I think there's a way that everybody is still incredibly valuable and can provide uh, meaning and provide the right resources and the right approach and the right amount of therapeutic intervention or, you know, instruction, modified instruction, whatever it may be to breed successful students in a classroom. I mean, that's, that doesn't need to, it doesn't have to look, this is just an antiquated model in my mind. Yeah. And and it's that silo thing you were talking Mm -hmm. about earlier. People are so, and rightly so, everyone has their own set of responsibilities. And we've talked about this on previous Mm -hmm. episodes. I've talked about it in trainings, but people have specific responsibilities. I need to get these kids to X point in their science work. And we want to continue to prop that up, right? We're not trying to take away someone's skill set and say, you're everyone's the same. We're not right. doing that either. No, and, and but we can all work together to meet the needs of the students. And in all fairness, what happens if you don't get to the end of that unit, mm-hmm. right? Because you're spending more time on social emotional learning or you're spending more time helping kids rise to the- What if you fail the MCAS? The the state testing. Mm, That's a whole other day. Yeah, that's a whole other day. We can't even. even I don't want to get that angry today. No, but I also think you know the MCAS only looks at specific areas, right? Right. So if you don't make it to a certain part of your curriculum, Mm -hmm. what's what's the reality of what's actually going to happen? They get better skills socially, emotionally, or better skills in certain areas. It's to me as simple as this. I want to help create functioning, independent human beings that can hold a job, that can have you know meaning in their life, occupation, which can be anything for people. It can be a, a hobby they enjoy, some kind of activity, a work you know a work goal, a personal goal. That obviously they need to learn some of these skills to do that. I mean, kids all the time are like, why do I have to learn this? Well, here's why. And I mean, you can go back in life and realize like how many things did I learn that I did not need to know about or that I don't remember. Pre-calculus. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think teaching them to be, to learn all these skills and be kind human beings. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we're pushing so many other things that we're forgetting that students sometimes just need to be, Well, and to call back a previous episode about how we're right now, we've got a large contingency of students that are depressed, anxious, withdrawn, not engaged. And that to me needs to be the number one priority, because if you're not if you're depressed, anxious and withdrawn, are you going to remember like sine and cosine? Well, it's funny going back to a previous episode to talk about that. It's we have students that are refusing school. And so I'm like, why don't we just have them attend 15 minutes of every class, let's start there. And it's That's just, bold. Whoa. That's very bold whoa. of you. Whoa. It's like, well, they're not attending anyway. So right. would you rather 15 minutes instead of zero? Well, and something we've learned over the years is that you, 
oftentimes you build it up and kids respond to that. It's not like you're stuck at 15 minutes forever. Yeah. It's just getting the, the anxiety down, getting that, that sense of accomplishment and mastery over something, even if it's a small chunk of time to build on that confidence. That's what we see all the time. And the way things are going, we are going to have to shift. Mm-hmm. We have to make a big shift. And I, I am, you know, I think it's going to take time and I think it's going to take some realization that these kids aren't, you know, I, I hear all the time, it's like, they're not, they're not up to par. They're not up to par. And it's like, okay, so how do we shift? Right. How do we shift the well, line? Right. What are the standards the that we care about right. anymore? You know, we need to change that. Maybe for um, some of the social media, you can create a big shift, a sign, really big. Okay. It says the word shift on it. Just shift. Just shift. All big right. shift. Big shift. Yeah. Well, that was a hefty topic today. Mm-hmm. It was pretty, uh, I think we'll definitely get to this again for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I've been thinking of an idea and I think we've been talking about this too, of how would we create our perfect kind of programming and just, in a, you know, imagine what you could do in make-believe worlds, hypothetical. I mean, I feel like we have a common theme running we through do. all of our potties. We do. Like, oh, is that what they're called? Yeah. It sounded like something else. Potties. So I, I, you know what I, 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 you know, there should be an award, award show called the potties. I'd like to, for you to never say it again. What, the potties? Yeah. <laughs> Please. Right. Well, let's wrap up for today. What do you have for us? on? on so <laughs> I think we're going to have markedly different um, answers to this, but what are your three must have apps on your smartphone? Would you, would you like me to go first? I mean, it's up to you. I, I think, I think, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Look, I never, I never really post on social media, but I love to like stop it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say right, if, if you're asking me today, I would say Snapchat, TikTok, and I, I was going to say Instagram, but I think I'm going to change that third one because my husband snores like nobody's business. Mm. And so I think right now it's a must have is my relaxed brain app. So oh, okay. You know what? Than his snore. I'm going to say same, same on that, but I will give three different ones. I appreciate that. Um, so those that know me know that I'm not a really tech savvy human. I do the best I can with what I've got. I use what I need. I don't have a lot of excess. I also don't like clutter, but that's a whole other topic. So I would say that my three must haves are my Dunkin' Donuts app, my weather app, AccuWeather, shout out, and probably my banking app. (laughs) But banking and news were sort of tied. I wasn't sure which one. I wasn't sure which one I was going to go. But then there's also the rain to fall asleep app. So I, I, you know, just things that are really important. I don't have the frivolous. I don't have, I mean, I do have TikTok. I think I've looked at it twice, but hey, you know, I mean, you're missing out. I'm evolving. Yeah. It's it's, it's usually the second half of my walk with my dog is TikTok. I mean, I do Wordle after I do. I do love Wordle, but I don't have an app for that. Numbers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I jump into TikTok. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening again to episode nine. I think we're we're all over the globe, so thanks everyone. Wow, you have, humble have, brag. We have, we have five states that haven't haven't joined our, oh. our party. Oh, we won't call them out. Not we're not going to call them out. Yet. We're not going to call you out, West Virginia. <laughs> we're going to call you out, Montana. <laughs> uh, you're not listening anyway. So, no, not- <laughs> so you, you don't know. You don't know. It's okay. Hey, Virginia, don't tell West Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> hey, North Dakota. Good. I, I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you picked that part of the country because I probably wouldn't have had that right. <laughs> um, okay, so follow us, uh, like us on any sort of podcast that you list, podcast wow. platform that you listen to. That was to. smooth. We're, I know. I'm on it today. <laughs> uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Mm. 
TikTok, although we only have one video. Oh. It's well, enough to watch over and over. Oh, again. yeah. Yeah. And um, at Unstuck Podcast One on all of those platforms. And be sure to send us any ideas that you have. And thank you all for listening. Bye. Bye.